For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. After spending three chapters teaching his readers about all that God has done for them in Christ, it's time to put that knowledge to work by responding appropriately. So beginning here in chapter 4 comes timeless exhortations for how to live in a manner that pleases God. Let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Walk Worthy. Ephesians chapter 4, we are headed to a new section of the book, the second half. So as you turn there... I will turn to the Lord, ask for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we just make our way into the second half of this great epistle, the book of Ephesians, uh, we pray for understanding. Lord, we just acknowledge it's not the word of any man, but that the Holy Spirit breathed through men, and they wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, Father, it just is a supernatural work here in our, in our laps and on the screens and in our hearts. So give us uh, understanding that we might benefit by it by putting it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as I've been alluding to, uh, we are making our way into a nicely divided book. Well, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is theology and belief, right? And chapters... 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians is doing and behavior. So you have belief and behavior. It's so easy to divide the book like that. And by the way, uh, that is how it goes. From right thinking comes right behaving. And uh, it's very true. That's why we go to counselors to correct the way we are thinking so that the resulting behavior would be more in line, more uh, beneficial and uh, a blessing. And so you'll find the, that the scriptures do the same thing. And it's from what we know about God and who we are and what he has done on our behalf that we are able to behave properly. It's ever so important. You know, one of the Psalms, a verse uh, there says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, so often is as we're processing thoughts about God, our behavior reflects correctly or incorrectly what he, what we think him to be. And so it's good to be in the word of God and, and that's why we're here. And so with that said, uh, chapters one through three is teaching, teaching, teaching. What did he teach us? Well, uh, the gist of it was that God, through Christ and the cross and through the shed blood of God the Son, because of his great love for us, has called us out. Called us out is the word for the church in the Greek, to call out, right? So he created a new race, the Bible says, that there was no such thing as a collective body of believers up until Christ came, gave the Holy Spirit, called people out, and he made a new humanity, unlike anything that ever had been in the Old Testament, uh, all throughout the ages. And so uh, the lesson has been, because of God's great love, he calls us out, we who have been alienated from God, right? 
He, he reconciled us to God, and he reconciled us to one another so that this new society or this new nation or this new kingdom, whatever you want to call the church, this new people uh, would behave in a very new way. So now that we know who we are and what God did to accomplish it, now we need to know how to be those new people. And that's what chapters four, five, and six are about. Now that you know, in light of this, this is how we need to uh, behave. And so it's a really easy, one, one quote before we look at the text, one scholar put it really nicely. He said, now we move from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications for everyday living. And here it is, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, in light of what we've been teaching, I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know what? That's plenty for this morning right there. (laughs) We are going to hang out verses 1 through 6 and they divide quite nicely. You know, so about this marvelous calling, when you hear the word calling, sometimes it's like, you know, calling to the ministry. It's not that calling here. The calling is what all born-again believers share. It's the work of God deposited in your heart uh, is seen as a God calling you up and to himself. And so uh, with this marvelous calling, uh, it demands a response and that's the subject of what's going on. Now, it divides quite nicely. I think he's thinking, now what do we do with this new truth that we've called together as one? How do we do life together? I, I see a nice divide. Number one, he, said, he has an urgent plea. Live worthy of this calling. That's verse one. That'll be our first talking point. And then second, a quick description. Here's what that life looks like. No, he says, walk worthy of the calling. And we're like, okay. And then he says, and here's what that looks like. That's our second talking point. And then lastly, we'll finish up with a compelling reason. If you're taking notes, a compelling reason. Because it's a lot of effort to bring about the unity and the peace that God wants us to have. Uh, Why bother? So he's going to give you a compelling reason. Here's why the effort to live in peace with one another Uh, matters. And that's verses four through six. And there you have it, our three talking points. So first of all, let's isolate that verse for us and talk about living worthy of this unbelievable calling of God, calling to himself, a calling to eternal life, a calling to live forever in heaven, a calling to be his ambassador. I mean, there's a lot of things when you say that calling. He says, I haven't 
urgent plea for you. And I call it urgent because there's the word I urge where we get the word urgent. So it's not something like, you know, I suggest or I offer, uh, you know, this little advice. He's, that word there is the same word for the Holy Spirit. The word urge, parakleo, right? Uh, it means to come alongside, which is kind of cool to, to know what the Holy Spirit's title is, to come alongside to encourage and strengthen. So he's saying it also means to urge you, to prompt you, to encourage you, to live a life uh, worthy of the calling. And so it seems a simple sentence and it seems logical and a simple request, uh, you know, but then it's the working out of that. I myself think this sentence is the key to understanding not only chapters four, five, and six, but your entire Christian life. That's pretty profound. And the most important word in, in it right here is, is a word you wouldn't think is the most important. You know, this marker is not going to light up the screen for you. <laughs> Though it felt the same. That word right there, the most important one in the sentence. Because it links, he's saying, in light of, it, it, King James has it right, the therefore goes here. But most translations say that's kind of clunky and awkward, so we're going to move it where English would have it, the then. So he's saying, as prisoner for the Lord, then, since everything I just taught you in chapters 1, 2, and 3, in light of all of this, uh, because you now know uh, what is true and what God expects and what God has done, because of everything in 1 through 3, now you must respond in a worthwhile way. Now, Christianity is a response, listen, to having received, and then you do. Instead of what the world thinks and the world's religions are, you do, right, to receive the calling. You do to merit something, to get something, and that's the difference between Christianity and all world uh, religions. And so check this out. He says, you've received a calling, behave accordingly. Not behave accordingly so that you can receive this calling from God. Just the opposite of what most people think. The first idea ends in eternal life, that you, by faith, plus nothing, open up, and God gives you everything for nothing, and then there's resulting behaviors that are good deeds and such. That ends in eternal life. But if you reverse it and you start to try with your work and your effort to be good, to become worthy, to get the calling, to get to heaven, then that ends in eternal separation from God because the whole point of the cross is screaming, you can't do it. You need a savior. Somebody has to give it to you for free because you're helpless and hopeless without that. That's what qualifies us. And so you see right there, I mean, all religions have this in common, not Christianity, because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. All religions are a ladder of rungs to get you to heaven. You see? So whether it's the eight uh, steps to Buddhism or the Ten Commandments of Judaism or the five pillars of Islam, they're all world religions start with do, do, do. 
climb, 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 and then bam, it's yours. And let's not forget, closer to home, 10 Hail Marys and nine Our Fathers, and let me give you the list if you want to be saved there, okay? Those kinds of praying, good works, baptism, communion, that's called the sacraments, penance, indulgences, and indulgence is an official uh, pardon by an official priest, okay? You got to have that. And you got to keep the commands. In other words, get thou thyself busy, all right? Because you're going to have to work. You know, whatever happened to whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whatever happened to that? It's in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 through 11. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, who shall ever just believe in him shall not perish. John chapter 6, what must we do to do the work God requires? He says, trust me, period. Oh, getting excited. What happened? <laughs> I don't know what happened. I just got carried away there because, you know, now listen, all right? Cain, Cain comes out. Hey, God, look what I can do. Disqualified unworthy. Look at my worthy work. And he goes, unworthy. I can't do it that way. And then what does his brother do? His brother knows. The Lord said, you got to approach me on the merit of somebody else who did the work that you have to do. There it is. The blood of the lamb. And he comes in and says, look what I can't do. And he goes, worthy. Oh, it's an upside down kingdom for sure. Now, Christianity is received, then we do the good, right? But the good doesn't qualify you. It has nothing to do with the salvation. All it is is evidence that you received. So the lifestyle of sin, it changes. Oh, we've got a little problem with sin, little fires that come out, you know, but the lifestyle of unbelief and blaspheming and persecuting and, and, uh, and all of that, that's gone. There's a new life, right? But that's a behavior that just evidences. So if somebody asks you, how do you know you're safe? There are two answers you could go with. You could go with the Apostle Paul that says, by faith, period. I put my faith in trust, surrendered my will to him, Done. I do nothing. Or if you're more like James, you could say, you know what? I'll show you my faith by my deeds, by my changed life, and start listing. Hey, I used to be a drunk. I don't drink anymore. I used to be an abuser. Now I'm warm and cuddly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I can't be responsible for every thought that goes through my head. Right? <laughs> I used to be angry. I used to steal. I don't steal anymore. I work hard with my hands so I have something to give. Now, if you want to say, that's how I know I'm saved, that's good. You're, you're with James. But if you want to go with Paul and say, you know what? I've got faith. Jesus said, whoever believes, I believe. You could say that. There better be something that follows that. Right? Because that's the checklist. And so that's just, good. you know, I just ran into somebody who caused me to have a little bout of high blood pressure. 
uh, with uh, all religions are the same line. You know, I just want to say, okay, if they teach different things and they're totally different, how can they all be the same? I just got a question with that, you know. So I said to him, I said, just, sir, please show me a religion where God says, do nothing. You are hopeless, helpless. You cannot help yourself. I'll do everything for you. Just receive it. I do everything. Do nothing. Show me that. Just show me. Name one religion in the world that says, you don't have to do anything. I'll give you everything for nothing. Yeah, come on. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting, and there's no, no answer to that. You know, the ladder that world religions build to go up to God, Christianity is the ladder that comes down from heaven with the Son of God, God the Son on that to come down to die in our places and do what we could never do for ourselves. Pay the penalty for our sin and remove that and give us eternal life. And the only thing that qualifies me is that I'm unqualified. Amen? Amen. So he says, <laughs> as a prisoner for the Lord, I am urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now walk that salvation out. Work it out with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works within you to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God who gave you that. That's why you have to walk in a worthy way and considering what it cost him to let you in. You just say, oh, I'm saved, you know, by the blood of the Lamb. And then go do your own thing. I urge you to live a life worthy of the work that was purchased on Calvary to get you for, for nothing on your end into uh, eternal life. He says that we're just asking that it's a manner, by the way, to live a worthy calling. The word means quite literally heavy. Uh, it really has come to mean suitable or becoming of the thing that it precedes. And so he's saying, come on, God on a cross shedding his blood so that you could walk with him. Could you walk up a notch? Considering that value. And so uh, number two then, uh, he's going, and let me tell you how you might start. Here's the behavior of you want to walk worthy, and everybody does. I want to do that. Here's how you do it. Be completely humble. Not, you know, 65% humble. Not almost all the way humble. Not humble on most days of your life or quarterly. You, you don't. <laughs> Be completely 100% humble, 24-7, and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is worthy of the work that God has put in your heart and for the purpose of bringing that one society, this new church, to make it work, to make it reflect his supernatural attributes of love and peace and love and joy. You have to have this. You have to have these character qualities for sure. He lists five things that earmark a church from God's point of view. And if you don't have them, you don't have a church. This is what church is. This is what the Christian life is. 
humbleness, gentleness, patience, mutual forbearance, and peaceableness. I'll explain that. That just means making peace instead of making trouble. All right? So what do we have here? We have, before you sigh and get, you know, roll your eyes and get all overwhelmed because you don't really see, how am I ever going to do any of that? You know, because, yeah, you know what? (laughs) These are the ingredients that go into walking worthy and a healthy congregation have them. And you do not have these ingredients in your cupboard. They are not yours. Uh, God does not expect you to bring them out because he knows you don't have them. These are attributes of God. They are fruit of the Holy Spirit. They come when we yield to him because he's the one who's gentle and lowly in heart and he lives within there. And as we cooperate with him, we're able to be gentle and humble and patient. They're fruits from above. You don't have it in your cupboard. So don't get freaked out. Uh, He has never told you to be nice. There is not one command in the scriptures, be nice. You know why? Because you can't be nice all the time. You're just not, okay? I'm not either, right? What does he say? The Bible doesn't say be nice. It says be filled. And when you're filled, you can be nice because you have the supply. Did you know that God says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he lets us share in his divine nature? Now, false teachers take that and run with it. And they, 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 they're going to get what they got coming, right? Because it's crazy talk. Why God gives us his divine nature is for us to be more holy to be like Jesus, to be as patient and kind and loving and holy as the Son of God. He says, you don't have the power. You don't have those ingredients. Where are you going to get that? So you open your heart. He pours into your heart the ingredients and your work, and it is work, is to relax and rest in him and love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength so that he can increase and you decrease. And then his nature starts to work with your nature and you kind of learn, you know, how to do things. He gets on board and he gives you the needs, uh, the things that you need for character because it all comes from him. So he says, uh, be completely humble. Let's talk about that. The word means uh, quite Literally, in the Greek, lowly in mind. So it's a a cut above humbleness. It means an attitude of humility. That's what he's asking for. And I'll tell you right now, it's the key to the group dynamic of peace in any family or gathering is that everybody is low to the ground. There's nobody puffed up with pride or full of themselves. They're full of the Holy Spirit and therefore they're low. That's the key because with pride, pride lurks behind all division and discord. It's all about pride. When you say about somebody, they're full of themselves. Well, if they're full of themselves in a place where everybody's broken and has moral lapses and says rude and insensitive things, if you're full of yourself, there's a lot of self to offend. 
all right? I mean, because you're not low. I, I look at it this way. Stay low, and then all the insensitivities of humankind can just whiz right over the top of you because you're busy down low, safe from every little, they didn't invite me, they didn't acknowledge me, they didn't include me in the conversation, you know, they didn't ask me how I was doing, and all of that stuff is because you're too filled with self-importance. And he says, when you're completely humble, you have a more guarded, sober assessment of who you are without God's grace. That's what it is. And that humility values and recognizes the intrinsic value of human beings from God's sight. Therefore, you put yourself in a place where you can esteem others higher than yourself. That's the call for it. And that's the only way that you're going to take a bunch of these kinds of people and have peace and forgiveness and joy and getting along with one another. It's only one way. And it's key number one. It's called um, humility. That's the thing that we're looking for. Now, does it surprise you that humility and humbleness of heart was despised by the Greek culture as something uh, uh, cowering or uh, servile, slavish, ignoble, right? Nobody wanted to take the job of the lowest servant. And then Jesus comes around and he says, just the opposite. It's so funny. That which the world esteems highly, the Lord finds detestable. And the things God highly esteems, the world finds detestable. That's Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. And so now if you're talking about gentleness now, gentleness kind of arises from the humble attitude. So humbleness in action would be gentleness. And just so you know, some of your Bibles say meekness. Let me assure you that it's a strength, not weakness. Here's the definition. Uh, power. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I forgot to say that. Just kidding. Here's the definition. Power fully and pleasantly harnessed for God's good purposes. Oh, come on. It's power harnessed so that you're able to do the work of God without being irritated or distracted you're able to be gentle and be a good representative of God given some uh, difficult situations. Uh, and, and what did Jesus say? They're fully balanced. Humbleness and gentleness. He said, come to me, learn of me, partner with me. And he says, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Learn of me. He says, I'll teach you. You guys don't have this. Partner with me. And I'll teach you how to be gentle, how to be humble. And the gentleness, of course, is the action. So in John 13, a great uh, narrative there. Uh, night that Jesus was betrayed, Last Supper, just a terrible timing for the disciples to have an argument about who is the greatest. 
So they get to the Last Supper and they're sitting around the table and the Lord says, what, what were you guys arguing about? And there's dead silence because nobody wants to say, well, we were all talking about who's the greatest, right? And then, of course, in the foyer, the lowest servant there of the household was missing. And so uh, everyone's sitting there and Jesus is pausing. Who's going to get up and do, do what needs to be done? Wash our feet, you know? They're dirty. You don't eat with dirty feet. You, you, you get washed, right? And he's waiting. Nobody's going to get up and do it. Why? Because they'll lose the argument. They'll lose the argument right outside the door. They're saying, I'm great. I'm great. Are you kidding me? Hello, did you walk on water? <laughs> you know, uh, they're... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing that thing. And so Jesus gets up. Because if one of them stood up, they'd be saying, you're right, everybody. I'll do it because I'm admitting that I am the least, okay? So they're not going to do that. So Jesus stands up and he grabs a wash basin, soapy water, and a towel, and gladly says, hey, I'm washing everybody's feet. I'm delighted to do it, and I'm going to do a lot more of those kinds of things that are humiliating because I'm a servant of God the Father, he washes their feet and he says, you want to know what true greatness is? Have the attitude, gentle and humble. Have the attitude that you're here to be a helper to everybody else. That's your position in life, to be everyone's servant and helping. And he says, that's true greatness. He says, I'm the Lord. I am Lord. He says, you guys call me Lord. Guess what? Bingo. I am God, but I didn't come to be served. I'm not all proud and lifted up. Philippians 2 says, though he was equal to God in every way, he did not use that to take advantage of it, but he emptied himself and became a slave, a servant unto death. And he says, what's up with you guys? I come and take the low road, I'm washing dirty feet, which I'm delighted to do. And I'm telling you, that's the greatest job in the world. And you'll be blessed if you do it. And you're all high and puffed up and get your feelings hurt. It's no wonder looks at you funny. Come on. Amen. I need an amen. I was thirsting in a dry and barren land. <laughs> and I got one. You need help with it? Oh, let me help you out with a quote from William Barclay. Help with humbling yourself and thinking of yourself with sober judgment. Yes. William Barclay, to face oneself is the most humiliating thing in the world. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. Look deep within. Oh, look deep within. And if that doesn't scare you, look a little bit deeper. Okay? Because Paul the Apostle could say it. He says, I know a lot of sinners but I know my sin, and I'm the worst. He didn't say I was the worst. He said, I am. He goes, if you take the grace of God off of me, off of me for 10 seconds, I'm an angry, self-righteous, hypocrite, a religious fraud, 
that's who I am, a killer of Christians and an insulter and blasphemer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without God's intervention, I know exactly who I am. And that's what keeps Paul low. Not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that grounds him and keeps him low. And he's able, do you know how many people slandered that man? He's able to go on writing 13 New Testament books and plant 14 uh, churches with everybody talking smack about him and hurting his feelings and saying terrible things. Why? Because he's low. He's everybody's servant. Those words, they don't matter. I'm here to, for an audience of one, and it matters to me what he thinks about me, not what everybody's gossiping and, and, and slandering me about. Amen? Amen? So he says, you want to be a walk-worthy, number one, you're going to need patience. And the King James, two shout-outs for King James today. Uh, long-suffering is the word. Like long-fused, it just takes you a long time. Uh, that you're able to abide with somebody's irritations. Um, <laughs> uh, now, patience and for, forbearing one another is another kind of, the forbearing is grows out of a patient posture. So the forbearing is, uh, I like what one person said, by love and for love's sake, you put up well and long with irritating people and situations that rub you the wrong way. <laughs> people come to church because they're well aware of their brokenness, their problems, their insecurities, their fears, their hang-ups. They come to find refuge. So you're going to have a room full of broken, incomplete people. How are you going to make it without long-suffering and patience? How are you going to minister to anybody? They want to talk, and they're talking too much, and you're just waiting for a breath to get a word in edgewise or, 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 or whatever it is you need. Or, or they said, hey, will you disciple me? And you say yes, and then you set up the time, and they don't even call you. They don't show up, right? Because why? They don't have their act as, as together as you do. Did you get them? <laughs> You're going to need this. You're going to need this for the church to be what it's supposed to be. Or, or you know what? If you want to take God's supernatural attributes out, then just change the name from the church to Kiwanis Club, the, the Lions Club, or the Rotary Club. You know why? Because they get together. They're nice. And they do nice things all over the world. Those three organizations are filled with good deed doers. That's all they do is, okay, gentlemen, let's use our money and our resources to bless people. Well, they might not use the word bless. They're secular organizations. There might be Christians in it, but it's not the church. So Jesus looks at the church and says, what are you doing higher and better than Kiwanis Club? Kiwanis Club's doing good deeds. You're doing good deeds. Where, what is something to reward you about? Sinners. Love those who love them, them. Tax collectors, he says, are nice to people who are nice to them, right? And people do these kinds of things 
Where's the praise for you? The praise for you is when you love the unlovely and you pray for people who use you and hurt you and you forgive them and you do supernatural things when you love your enemies and and make dinner for the guy who hates you. He says, that's my people because now you're children of a God who sends rain on the just and the unjust, on the grateful and the ungrateful. He's kind to both. And if you're my kid, you have a, something that the Kiwanis Club doesn't offer. It's the infusing power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let him work. So you're not a bunch of do-gooders. Oh, we're nice people who do good things. There are a billion of those people who have perished. Where's the difference? The difference is in life. Having the Holy Spirit in your heart. Cooperating with him and let him give you the attributes, his attributes, so that this place could be more than a, just a, the glee club. It could be <laughs> whatever that meant there. The glee, whatever. All right, moving on. Let's finish up with now. That's going to take a lot of dying to self. Right? That's going to take a lot of work. That's going to take me 24-7 working on it, working on it, working on it, working on it. Yeah, welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to where Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let them pick up their, first of all, deny self, get used to telling yourself no, right? Pick up your cross, which last I read is an instrument to die upon, and follow me. So John the Baptist theology, personal theology, He must increase. I must decrease. That's the only way this is going to work. And it's 24-7 all the time. Morning, noon, and night. you got to work at it, right? Why? What's the big deal? He says, I'll tell you why you guys have to walk in this place and have it like this wonderful paradise. I'll tell you why. Because there's... Next verse. Thank you. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's why. (laughs) You don't really have an option. You've got to make this work because that's who you are. You are a singleness of a humanity that is one with its maker and one with each other. And each other is in God and God is in you and you're all one. That's why you can't have a problem over here and a problem over here and a problem over here and a rich person over here with an attitude and a poor person over here with an attitude. Once you come through the doors of the cross, you're humble and gentle Impatient and kind and forbearing with one another because that's who you are. Now, we'll, we'll take a look at this. I think you get the theme of it. The word would be one. It's mentioned seven times there in one sentence. So here's what it is. Christian unity arises out of the unity of our God. We know that there are three persons and one God. And you get that here. You get God the Father mentioned. We have one Father. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ, and one Spirit. There they are again. 
One times one times one is? That's the Trinity there. Three distinct persons. One God. Hero Israel, Elohim, the gods. It's not El, it's Elohim, is one. So the family of God, the diverseness of God, the collectiveness of God is one. He is one. And he prays in the garden that we would be one in him and through him. This oneness is very important uh, to him. Let's talk about it. The first thing he says, hey, listen, have you noticed there's one body? Now, when I first became a Christian 36 years ago, I walked into a church in Santa Cruz, and they're all talking about the body. You know, well, you know, oh, that person really loves the body, and, uh, we're, you know, we're praying for the needs of the body. I never knew what they were talking about. It just seems so strange, you know. So the analogy used in the New Testament for God and his church, this new society of people, is often uh, described as a body. Christ is the head, and we're the body. So church, Christians, born-again Christians all over the universe right now, or let's keep it to the earth, (laughs) are like his body connected to the head. And all that, when he says, hey, there's one Church, one corporate body, right? It shows you your connection, your singleness to God, Jesus, and to one another, because there's only one body. And so, you know, when the body members, 1 Corinthians 12 goes, has a field day with this, right? Uh, talking about how each of us are parts of that body. Stressing singleness of living together. Of purpose, right? Because if you have a cell in your body that says, hey, I don't care about the rest of you. I'm going to just do my own thing, right? And I'm going to multiply if I feel like multiplying. I'm going to divide if I feel like dividing. And guess what that's called? That's called cancer, right? And so it's very important. He says one body. One body. Now, the second word, there's one spirit right, that unites us all to the one body. Now, how can there be any two believers not united on the same page if they're plugged into the same one body by the same one spirit? Now, this is very important. It's not peace and unity at any cost, right? There are moral and uh, doctrinal boundaries prevent unity if you don't share in the one spirit. Let's go with the one spirit. I know somebody who prays to the universe, the spirit of the universe. So you can come in here. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. We'll get you a cup of coffee. We will love you, respect you, be nice to you, but you cannot and will not, nor is it ever possible for us to have unity With you, because there's one spirit. He's called the spirit of Christ. So if you're telling me you pray to the spirit of the universe, then we can't have what we're talking about here. But all born-again Christians have this oneness, right? And so just don't hear me saying this oneness, right? This oneness is in 
him. And in him, there are all these elements. Uh, the third word there is called to one hope. The one hope in the scriptures is always the second coming. We're preparing ourselves. We're strengthening ourselves. We're occupying until he comes. That means we're working for him, getting people ready, and also reaching out to the lost, right? So we have this one uh, blessed hope. Now, so if any two believers who are part of, follow me here, are part of one body, uh, or united by the same one spirit, who share the same singular hope, how can they not be on the same page? How can there be discord? That's what the verse is asking you. Right, the fourth word there, uh, one Lord. There's only one Lord, and we, he, we have his name. We know who that uh, Lord is. Salvation is found in no one else, Acts 4.12. For there is one name given under heaven to men by by which we must be saved. There's one name, right? If you come in here with another name, but you say, actually, they're the same. He shares his name. He shares his glory with no one. So we can't have unity with you if you got a different Lord because the Bible says there's one. And we know who that is, right? So if you tell me, as Jehovah's Witness do, that he's actually a created being, when Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says, he created all things, Christ, then we, we're talking two different lords. And if we're talking a different lord than the one lord, then that this is impossible, right? But the move today is to, who cares? Let's just be one. We'll all join hands. We'll sing kumbaya. You know, uh, we'll all be happy. That's what true love is. But true love and true unity there are boundaries. There are boundaries. Number five, one faith. And here's the crux of the boundaries. There's a gospel, a gospel that says in Galatians chapter one, if anyone comes to you besides the one gospel, Jude verse three, the one gospel handed down to God's holy people once and for all. If anyone, Galatians now, chapter one, verse eight, Paul the Apostle, if anyone comes with a different gospel outside of the one gospel, let him be eternally condemned. That is fighting words. Why? Because a gospel that's different from the one gospel doesn't save. It's this gospel. It's this one faith. So he's saying, if two believers share, follow me, share the same one Lord, they're placed in the same one body through the same one spirit and they embrace the same one hope and they have the same one gospel. How are they not able to get along? Why wouldn't they make every effort to guard the peace and the oneness since one God, one faith, one Lord, one spirit, one Right? That's what he's getting at. Uh, the one uh, baptism there, he's saying, the word baptism there means to be immersed into. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 says, believers have by the Spirit been immersed. He uses the word baptized. Into Jesus. 
This mystical thing, it means our spirit and his have been immersed. We're joined. That's really the short version of that. And he's saying, there's only one way to be saved. One action God does. It's one baptism and the work is done. Now, uh, let's put it all together. And here's what he's saying. If the one Lord who is united as one people into one body, one church, and he's done this through one spirit who saved them all through one faith and one gospel and joins them to himself through one baptism and the singular people, the church, joined to the one Lord in the one body with one faith, having the one baptism in the same, I feel like I'm I'm, uh, rapping right now. And the one baptism and the, by the same one spirit who shares the same one hope because there's one father who is over all of us and in all of us and through all of us. He's saying, you're going to tell me that you're out of sorts with Billy Bob because what? Because, and then say what it is. Now, there are things that do kind of strain the fellowship. You know what? But listen, ruffled feathers and strong rebukes that are needed and corrections that are made for behavior that's not right is consistent with the peace in the fellowship. In fact, if you don't have some of that, you have chaos. You can't just let any behavior just go on and like, hey, we're just going to be humble about this and let it happen. No. Sometimes you have to do tough love, but it's not inconsistent. Why? Because the way you handle, can you put on the first, the second verses? The second point? The way you handle those problems Completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. See, so even the problems in the congregation that the pastor has to say, hey, this is not making for unity in the body. If you handle it that way, as far as it is, depends on you, then you have a guarded peace. You can put the, the text back. Uh, let, me, let me show you that picture, uh, this picture of, I don't think you got to see it last week. Steve Saint, he's a missionary slash entrepreneur. He flies planes into jungles. He was born in Ecuador. Minkai, he was a tribesman. Here's the story, and here's the supernatural unity that God's looking for. They have a great relationship, have known each other for many years. If a new unbeliever came into the church and said, hey, guys, you look like a father, father, son. Well, actually, he's quite a bit older. And, and what's up with you guys? And you, he'd say, well, it's a long story, but my father was a missionary with Jim Elliott, and they went down to Ecuador, and unfortunately, my, uh, my father and Jim and three other guys were speared through the heart by the natives they came to save. Well, who's this guy? He's the guy who threw the spear into my father who got saved because Elizabeth 
And a, the widow of Jim went back down there, took the kids, went back down and ministered, and the tribe got saved. And so this guy just happened to know, oh, I know which guy I speared. And he came to faith, and he became like an adopted father to Steve, the guy who speared his father. God says, that's the kind of love that when they walk in, they will know you're my disciples because that doesn't happen at the Kiwanis Club. <laughs> you know, yeah. So who's he? Well, he could my dad. Love him. You know, it just doesn't work. He, he, he says, <laughs> he doesn't take it lightly. He says, I miss my dad. I was nine years old. He said, but this isn't the man who killed my father. This is my brother in Christ. And as my sins have been forgiven, a lifetime of sinning, and I'm a new creation, so is this man, right? That's what we need. And we're out of sorts because you didn't get an invitation to the party, but guess what? You should have. They had it, and for some reason... It missed you, and now you're bent out of shape, and you're avoiding the person because they invited A, B, and C and left you out. Come on. Walk worthy of what God did to bring you to life and to the body because you don't have any choice. You know why? Because there's one God, one faith, one Lord, one church, one baptism. What's your option? You're either going to let him bring peace and be what it is, one, or you're going to be the problem that God always has to work to get you into peaceful unity. Amen? Amen. Let's go with the former. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. Lord, we all fall short, and God, I'm so glad you're, you're just never surprised <laughs> or disappointed when we come to the end of ourselves. You're rather relieved <laughs> that we, we see the tank is empty, I'm helpless, and now I'll look up to heaven and say, Lord, fill me, would you do this? And you're so happy to do that. You're very long-suffering with us all, Lord. The very things that we've been talking about, you exemplify and show to us. We're so thankful to belong to you. What a, just a marvelous thing. I don't know, Lord, that we'll fully understand how marvelous <laughs> and how phenomenal these blessings are until we get to heaven. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.